tonight's reading is Psalm 42, which is on page 526 in your Bibles. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food, day and night. While people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his soul is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, very good evening to you all. Uh, let's pray together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and bring you his peace. This day and always. Amen. I noticed, uh, looking ahead a few weeks ago, that Psalm 42 was the psalm for this evening, and I had a reasonably strong prompting, 
to reflect with you not just on the psalm, but to nuance it or shadow it or shade it in with a brief reflection on the perplexing uh, subject of depression, which is not going to dominate the whole of our uh, reflections from the psalm this evening, but you will, as you see, uh, see it illustrated. And I've given public notice of that, uh, probably in a very simple way that if people are struggling within the orbit of our networks and friendship, uh, we might be prayerful for them in an increased way from the scriptures, or perhaps in God's providence you're, you're here this evening, and whether you, as it were, are open about that, or whether you're secret about that, uh, in my view, both scenarios are perfectly acceptable. But I'm, as I'm sure you'll realise, uh, even from uh, yesterday's news, uh, the head of the Metropolitan Police uh, was discussing how much money is going into policing because they're engaged with countless hospital duties, uh, caring for people who are sectioned and so on. Back a month ago or so, I was listening to one of the main outcrops of the result of the pandemic in terms of acute mental illness uh, was the escalation of suicide rates amongst young men. And the sense of malaise, particularly, that happens to men in their late 50s. Oh, the power of uh, research. So... Um, a couple of stories or um, reflections to start with, uh, and the stories in a moment are, are true to life, they're public domain. They are a little on the extreme side, but they are true and deliberately chosen uh, to make us think. And then uh, thirdly, before we get stuck into the psalm, Psalm 42, if you want to turn the page up, it's page 526. I've got a couple of provisos uh, to reflect on as well. So a couple of intriguing thoughts to introduce us to this psalm. I wonder, and they're questions, I wonder if this person, this psalmist, to be pitied or is he to be envied? You might say that here is a person in a pit. You might say that here is a person who is depressed there's certainly references, we'll see a little bit later on, to my tears have been my food day and night. I'm cast off, I'm cast down. Here is someone we might immediately think of, quote-unquote, needs help. Poor them. We need to pray for them. Question, deliberately provocative, I wonder if this person, however, should be envied. Here is a person who is thirsty after God. Here is a person who's aching after him. Here is a person who's panting after God. Not just for a verse, but for the whole of the psalm. And it spills over, as we'll see in a few moments, into Psalm 43. Of course, there is acute pain but with that goes the counterpoint that this person is not just going through the motions. This is not just another talk. This is not just a selection of hymns or songs we may or may not engage with. My principle, humanity and feeling, all that I am is after God. 
I would like to meet such a person. Question, therefore, is this person to be envied or pitied? The other question, of course, is this an isolated incident or are there infinite possibilities coming from this psalm? Of course, this psalm was written on one occasion by one individual. Perhaps they were dislocated circumstantially from what was familiar to them, away from their homeland. They recalled something they were engaged in and it caused them deep pain that they weren't there anymore. Perhaps it was an ailment that had caused them to be like that. It was one individual at any one time. Providentially, of course, I'm sure many of you realise that Paul's great thorn in the flesh through which it was chosen for him, he somehow accessed the grace of God in a way that he couldn't in any other way. We don't know what that was. And we don't know what this particular isolated incident is. But this individual that penned this psalm, so the Spirit of God came upon this person and it was locked in for our benefit forevermore into Holy Writ and into Holy Scripture, set alongside a pairing of Psalm 43. Little known fact until it's been discovered, as the Hebrew Scriptures are reflected on, that many of the Psalms are grouped in pairs, that we can reflect on them together. It's a brilliant poetic device. One is there in the morning, the next pair is there in the evening, not too difficult to work out that one. This particular psalm, Psalm 42, is coupled in the Hebrew Scriptures deliberately with Psalm 43. We'll see why, perhaps, in a moment's time. There are five books in the psalms. There are 150 psalms. There are the heights of the emotions. There are the depths of the emotion. There's every nuance of Hebrew language that we ourselves would find it hard to get under the skin of. But they are all there. There are infinite possibilities within the very Word of God. Of course, hold on to Scriptures. But you can never proof text any life situation with a simple, easy solution. You've got infinite possibilities within the whole sphere of the Psalms. And you've got a infinite God to connect with. How these words and these scriptures connect with the individual individuality that makes us up, I find quite literally mind-boggling and, of course, humbling. Scientists have begun a good few years ago the charting of the neuropathways. They've only just begun. What goes on in the mind, we're literally just scratching the surface. Two true stories. Uh, one, uh, actually, you'll find in Hansard's, uh, the House of Lords, uh, the dear Christian man who's uh, profoundly responsible for much prison reform in our country, told the story of his sister who had a lifelong struggle with acute mental illness at one episode and time in her life was in such a bad way she was virtually on the point of committing suicide and ending her life. 
The circumstances of this particular episode and happening caused her to phone the Samaritans. Because of her disability and her acute mental distress, she called the wrong number. And a person unknown to her, complete randomer, picked up the phone. So the story goes, from this Christian in the House of Lords, his sister was greatly helped by the person at the other end of the phone listening to her perplexity and her problems. He later found out that this person was a Christian and listened and knew what to do and probably along with medical agencies was responsible for saving her life. I have one skill I'd wish like uh, Dr. Spock in Star Trek if you have the mind meld if somehow you could sort of put your hand on someone and not just read their mind but influence their behaviour I think my number one would be non-judgmental listening. I've had the privilege of working in many dioceses with many bishops over many, many years. Uh, this is public domain, but I have to say this particular incident coloured amongst many the subculture or culture of many of the churches that this bishop and I worked in. Uh, the bishop's wife was oftentimes found at the back of church where, he, where she followed her husband, who was a bishop, in tears, sobbing her heart out. The particular episode was the murder of her brother in France. And it just became okay for people to cry in church. Why would it not be? We can see the video, we can sing the songs, we can read the psalm. Tears have been my food day and night. It's one of the body's natural coping mechanisms to relieve stress. One clerical colleague of mine found his way onto Radio 4 and was interviewed because he couldn't smell freesias, every other plant he could smell. Why they picked on him because he couldn't smell freesias, I have no idea. I have come across a few clerics and other human beings who quite literally cannot cry. It's presumably got a medical ailment and descriptive attached to it, which doubtless I will be informed after the sermon. But tears are a natural mechanism for the release of stress. We're getting there, nearly at Psalm 42. A couple of uh, provisos, if I may. The first is, uh, I'm not a trained medical professional at all. I've happily uh, dealt with many, uh, both personally and professionally, at different levels. And in fact, the most recent encounter unknown to you, you were praying for. I alerted you to a two-day conference on Zoom, which I frankly wanted like a hole in the head, but I went to the previous year's one and found it actually quite beneficial. It was inhabited by well over a hundred clerics, many of whom were bishops, and I found uh, the time insightful. So I logged on for the next one this last year, the bishops 
by and large gapped it and it was filled up instead by consultant psychiatrists. It was an interesting scenario. My daughter, who's a clinical psychologist, I uh, phoned her up and said, do you know this one? I, she seemed to be have quite a lot of problems. I had some sort of issues kind of relating. She said, no, he's bona fide, he's all right. But there was another chap there who was actually an ordained priest and a consultant psychiatrist by the name of Christopher Cook. And he waved this book around. And I thought, oh, I know. I'm listening to this. Paula Gooder, heard of her? Walter Brueggemann, these are some of the top writers and reflectors of our age. Justin Welby, our Archbishop, who's made no secret of the fact that he's on antidepressants for various seasons of his life, and members of his family have struggled as well, commends this book, which was written this year. So I've got it, and I have to say it is a very good read. There's no quick magic bullet or medical summary of things you might feel are perplexing. It's more a reflection of biblical theology, but it does bring up to date a number of themes. Can't say I'm going to agree with all of it. Put a smile on my face when there's a chapter on Jesus and madness. I have to say it occurs to me, some of the church meetings I sit in, I do think I am going mad in the moment. Uh, But there we are. I commend this book to you more seriously. And perhaps this evening, if you're wanting a simple answer to the perplexity of depression, it's unlikely to come from this reflection this evening. Uh, But perhaps a sense of openness and trust that we can talk about it freely together and uh, raise questions rather than going for simple idiotic, in my mind, answers uh, would be one takeaway. So let me, without further ado, get to Psalm 42. And as we'll see in a moment, I'm going to transgress, go on to Psalm 43. So first of all, then, the painful plight. Notice there in verse 3 of Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? This is not just a disappointing live set of circumstances, an argument or something just goes wrong, an episode of tears for a day or a week. This is going on for weeks on end, perhaps even months. At this point, uh, you really should seek help or others around you should point you in the direction of help In verse 5, you have this question, the person is asking, why are you cast down, O my soul? If you look over to Psalm 43, verse 2, why am I cast off forever? It feels like I'm isolated and alone and no one understands me. If I'm looking out at the sea, all I see is an illustration of what's going on within me. Verse 7 of Psalm 42 Deep calls to deep, that the thunder of your cataracts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. Remember that Jesus himself uh, cried. Jesus wept. Story we read about as he was by the graveside of Lazarus, his friend 
He saw the dislocation that was brought about by being a human being, being mortal, being caught up in this life that would end, and the grief and sadness felt by family members of Lazarus. And Jesus, as I'm sure you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But Jesus would have read these words. Jesus would have reflected on them. And Jesus is not, as it were, a deist. That's to say God is out there and not involved in the world. Christian theology and Christian practice is profoundly theistic. That's to say God is not just out there, God is in there as well. And if, as Christians believe, Jesus is interceding at the Father's right hand in heaven now, who is he interceding for? None other than us. Of course Jesus wept then by Lazarus. Of course Jesus read about the tears of the psalmist. But in some way we cannot possibly fathom. There is a God who loves us. There is a Jesus in heaven who is interceding for us. Perhaps every teardrop that falls to the ground is with his love also. There's a painful plight. Someone once said to me that everyone needs to have a Good Friday until an Easter resurrection can happen. Cold comfort, perhaps what you're going through, might well in God's timing lead you to help someone else with God's resurrection comfort. The painful plight, and then secondly, the principled pathway. Notice the number of questions that are asked in Psalm uh, 42. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Verse 5, and then again in verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Verse 11 of Psalm 42, why are you so downcast, O my soul, at the end of Psalm 43. There's another question. Why are you downcast, O my soul? It might seem a little bit of a philosophical point to notice, but every time someone asks a question why, it predisposes that there must be a reasonable order to the world. The fact that there's no immediate reply to it is not quite the point. But it is the point, if you can reasonably expect an answer to something, then there must actually be a reason for what is happening. And I don't want to trespass onto the terrain of a psychiatrist, but that surely is one of the impulses within their profession. Why is this happening at this time? Perhaps a faithful friend, perhaps even a shaft of insight from yourself, why am I feeling like this at the moment? There are indications in the psalm that this person is reflecting themselves once they've started to ask the question. Notice too, there is a prayer. There's personal questions and there are also some very, very powerful prayers. If these psalms are joined together... Notice in Psalm 43, verse 3, how powerful and significant this verse is, particularly 
in helping people with feelings of darkness and depression. Sometimes, they may say, even for yourself. We often forget to pray for ourselves. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Send out your light. If the petition is made, if the prayer is made, it is not made in some kind of escapist fantasy way. It is made to expect an answer. That's to say, when you pray, send your light, the answer that is expected is, the light will come. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, let your kingdom come, what he was assuming would happen, that they would pray that, let your kingdom come, then in answer to that prayer, the kingdom would come. Without the prayer, the answer's not given. Without an invocation that the kingdom comes, it won't come. Terrifying, but true. Perhaps the kingdom of God comes in answer to our prayers. Perhaps the light comes in answer to the prayers of God's people. Of course, someone you're praying for, if you have the emotional um, capacity to do it, and the context and the environment is right, might not feel anything at the time. There might need to be a deliberate, disciplined soaking to be alongside. But that the prayer should happen is, of course, true. Send your light to them. Perhaps even praying for ourselves. Scatter the darkness from before our feet. Lighten our darkness, Lord, we pray. And defend us from all that's wrong. There is an analogous thought here as well. There's something not just about prayer, there's something also about protest. Notice what's happening in Psalms 42 and 43. The most frequent word is hope. Despite the pitiful plight, despite the pain, the tears and the isolation, there is a determined resolve to be hopeful. For those in the pit of depression, perhaps stunted by medication and life's plight, that's the last thing they're going to feel like reflecting on. Others will need to fall them in some small way. The marginal gain, the incremental point of development that might help. But that it's a protest is, of course, true. Hope in God. Someone once mentioned to me recently that every time you say the creed you are making a statement of protest against all those who don't believe in God. You're making a statement of protest that God is in charge of his world. How does the old adage go? Light a candle in the dark rather than curse the darkness. Be a person of hope in small, tangible ways to someone else. Perhaps if this evening you're listening to me and you're thinking, I just don't feel like that, I just can't do that. Try. May the Lord's light come to you now. Hope in Christ. Sometimes 
of spiritual plight is there because God's trying to get to you. Maybe you've never called out to Christ and his name and his light before. Perhaps there are new avenues and areas of faith to explore. I know I'm name dropping again, but another bishop, not the same one, wrote a book, a very profound book, called Faith Lost and Found. Completely reinvented his faith. It's a bit trite, you need to be careful how you interpret it, but if your religion makes you unhappy, then frankly find another one. Don't find another church, please. I love having you here. Please keep coming back. Hope in God. May the Lord's light come to you. May you be a person who brings that light and hope to others. A person with a painful plight, there's a principled pathway to ask questions, to pray, to deliberately protest, to be on the side of the kingdom of God and the hope that is ours. And then thirdly and finally, and perhaps more briefly, the perfect peace. One of my favourite psalms, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Is this person to be pitied or envied? The whole of the psalm, even the the next one, Psalm 43, the person is speaking and relating to God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. There's a sense in which this person should indeed be envied. He's even finding something about his own spiritual pathway which mirrors God's own aching and longing for his world. Probably it's an irreverent question, but I wonder if God gets depressed. Do you think he's happy with the way the world's going? What's your knee-jerk at the moment? Romans 8. The aching, the yearning, the thirsting for the new heaven, for the new earth. Perhaps even this psalmist has got a glimpse of what's in the eternal heart of God for the fullness of creation one day I will yet praise him my saviour and my God someone once described hope as faith on tiptoes the day is coming peace will come hold on if you're struggling at the moment If you're aware of someone that's struggling, hold on for them with light, with hope that the Lord himself, Jesus, has been there and he knows it can get better because one day it indeed will. Let me conclude with a prayer. We'll have a time of silence uh, perhaps to pray for our own lives. Lighten our darkness, Lord, we pray. To send the light of our care and love for those who are struggling with depression. 
and perhaps for a resolve when our own lives take a downward slope that we will live lives of protest and hope in God and we join too God's kingdom army in what's often a depressing scene in the world around not just to make the world a better place but to anticipate the kingdom that one day will fully and finally come let's be still